You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about shifts in B2B buying behavior, how to effectively leverage data and how to align revenue teams, all things that everyone is concerned about and focused on, especially with some of the changes we've seen lately. To help us today, we have with us Kerry Cunningham, Senior Principal at Sixth Sense and former Forrester VP. Kerry, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show. That's my pleasure. Uh, great to be here. So before we jump in, we always like to start with just a random question so that the audience gets to know you a little bit better. And I'm always interested to learn, you know, people have business personas and, and personal lives. Curious to know something you're passionate about that those that may only know you through work might be surprised to learn. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, so here's something that probably uh, most people that I work with don't know about, which is that I'm absolutely fascinated with all things to do with our human ancestors like a, a paleoanthropology. What were people like 20,000 years ago, 30,000, 200,000 years ago? And I almost took a, a position right before I started with serious decisions about eight years ago, almost took a spot in the PhD program to study evolutionary psychology. I, uh, I've spent a whole vacation uh, driving around central Spain a couple of years ago, visiting all these old dig sites where they're finding bones of Neanderthals and those kinds of things. <laughs> Just fascinated by that. And I think mostly because the people who are walking around on the earth 200,000 years ago, physically, mentally, emotionally, exactly the same as we are. I get up in the morning, I've got a nice Italian espresso machine, but if I don't make myself a perfect latte, I get really pissy about it. <laughs> and I just think, you know, I think, you know, me, 150,000 years ago would have been, you know, sleeping on a rock, hiding from bears and saber-toothed cats and that kind of thing. And I just think, you know, maybe I should not get so pissy about the latte. But then I do. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really change you, but it's fascinating to think about. <laughs> and is that has that been a lifelong kind of, of interest or something that came later in life through school? When did it start? Yeah, mostly came, you know, I've always been really interested in the idea, but it was a little, you know, it wasn't very well formed until uh, maybe 15 or so years ago. I was scared to death of science when I was a kid, and then I've become <laughs> a, a science fanatic uh, as I've gotten older. And I, I started reading a lot of that kind of popular science stuff, uh, particularly around evolutionary psychology, which is really just how does the biology of our, our brains and our nervous systems and the way it evolved over time, how does that impact our behavior today? Our brains were designed for that environment in which maybe you knew 100 people your entire life. They were the same 100 people. And you know, you're, you're constantly uh, living in fear and, and hunting and gathering and all of that. And then here we are today where you know, it's a little different. So it's pretty fascinating to me how that impacts uh, our, our social lives and how we get on. Excellent. Uh, that's the first time I've had somebody say that that was a passion. So I'm, I'm impressed. Nicely, <laughs> nicely done. <laughs> um, all right. So let's let's jump into kind of the topic of the day, you know, B2B buying behavior. Yeah. And there's a lot of 
different schools of thought on what what changes we're seeing out there, but would love to understand, you know, from your perspective, and let's just kind of set it in the context of the pandemic, just for fun. Mm, um, Kind of what were you seeing right before the pandemic? And how have those buying behaviors changed as a result of this global shared experience we've all had? Yeah, well, I think the pandemic's been an accelerant uh, to a lot of different things, but certainly to this. So, you know, the, the big shift in buyer behaviors is that it's become more and more digital over time. And it's a commonplace to talk about the fact that the idea that the buyer has changed. But I, I'd like to challenge that because I think there's a, a, a more productive way to think about it. And, you know, there's a couple of analogies that I would bring to bear there. So, you know, for 25 or so years of my adult life, I lived in San Francisco. I wore shorts twice a week on the weekend to play tennis, but really never otherwise, because it's just not warm enough. Now I live in Palm Springs, California, where, you know, it's like going to be 111 degrees today. I wear shorts every day, pretty much all year, because it's over 80 degrees pretty much all year. Now, if it were ever over 80 degrees in San Francisco, I would have worn shorts, but it never was. (laughs) So my behavior has changed a lot, but I haven't changed at all, right? I'm a person who would have worn shorts in San Francisco if it had been warmer. So that's a silly example, but I think that's what we've seen in B2B. Uh, You know, another one is like how we shop. 10 years ago, I didn't buy normal everyday things online because they didn't show up right away, but now they do. And so now I do, right? I buy, if I buy something I'm going to need on Monday, I can buy something online today and still have it on Monday. Uh, 10 years ago, I couldn't do that. My behavior is different now. And I think that that's really what it's like for buyers in B2B today. And it's been accelerated, of course, dramatically by the pandemic. So, you know, buyer has dramatically more access to information about what B2B providers have to offer today. And they have it from a lot of other sources. I was listening to a session you did with a former colleague of mine, Seth Mars. And he talked about the fact that yeah, you know, we can know a lot more about buyers because things have been, uh, things have become so digital, and that's really the pandemic made everything digital. One of the things that Seth said on your podcast, I thought was a really important point, was that what that does is it creates this really interesting transparency between the buyer and seller. That's the thing that I think is really fascinating. Is you know, one, the the buyer can just know almost everything there is to know about you as a seller, your your solutions and all of that without ever talking to you. And some of what they know might be wrong also. <laughs> so yeah. or might be biased in some ways, right? So it doesn't mean that what they're know what they know is going to be accurate necessarily, but they have access to a ton of information. There's a famous stat that was actually from Serious Decisions that that talks about 67% of the buyer's journey being digital. And you know, so that and that was from four or five years ago. I, I think that 67% went to hundred. And now, you know, maybe it'll come back down to 95 at some point, uh, but it's probably gonna remain pretty high up there. And because of that, you know, your your buyers are creating a lasting impression of you before you get a chance to really impact that, or they may, which means, you know, so there's one of the things I'm really fascinated by here is that 
If your buyers can know an awful lot about you and your solutions, they can know how happy your customers are. They can know a lot of your customers and you know get references uh, to them without ever talking to you. And what that means is that I think the beauty of it is it's much more transparent. Your buyers are not going to buy your BS. Like if you're <laughs> saying something about your solutions that isn't true, they are going to know, right? And if you sell things that you can't deliver, then it isn't going to last. Like you could get away with that 15, 20 years ago for a while. Like you could sell something that doesn't work. You're selling something that took forever to install in your customer sites. And that's another thing, the subscription economy. But, you know, when you, you had a longer runway to fix things before and right. you could sell vaporware that you could turn into something over the course of a couple of years and keep your customer. But if you do that today, you're toast. Well, and you've got so much information out there and, and you made the comment that, you know, sometimes they could be wrong. It's almost overwhelming for some of the buyers in some cases that I've seen where th there's so much information, even that the company itself may have put out, they're not hundred percent sure how to sift through it all. And then you get, you know, re references or reviews on some board or something from somebody else. And it really changes, I think more importantly, changes the way the sales reps have to interact with those individuals to help them sort through <laughs> what, they, what they found and, and what's actual reality. And, and I'm curious, it, it's a more of a behavioral shift from my perspective on the sales rep, kind of to your point yeah. of you would have always worn shorts. The, the context in which we're selling has changed because of the information overload that's out there. Have you seen that information overload impact buyer behavior at all or buyer... I don't want to say behavior, um, what the buyer's looking for from the sales reps. So I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, I think so. Uh, so, you know, you see, uh, you see this term a lot. My old uh, company Forrester uses a lot that the buyer is in control because they have so much access to information. They are, they do have much more control over how they get information and what information they get. And that means that, and because there is this more radical transparency, uh, sellers have to, enable buyers, right? Instead of, in the past, I think you would hear a lot of language from and about salespeople about, it would be kind of how I was going to, what I was going to do to a buyer to get them to buy, right? But now it's really about enabling buyers. How do I make sure that buyers have the information they need to make a good decision? And presumably, if you pick your prospects right, and you've approached them at the right time, then you can have a strong belief that you have the right solution for them. Right? And that's, I think, one of those things, that, you know, it's a bunch of these forces are working together to say, you got to focus on the right buyer. And if you get the right buyer at the right time for your solutions, then, you know, you can present everything about your solutions and be effective. But if you're approaching the wrong buyer at the wrong time, whatever, it isn't going to work and you're not going to be able to you're not nearly as likely to be able to get them to do something they don't want to do or shouldn't do as say you could in the, you know, even 15 years ago, 20 years ago. <laughs> right. And so, okay. So there was a term in some of the prep materials that I think this kind of segues nicely into and so that concept of buyer resistance. Yeah. And so I'm curious for the audience, if we can just give them some context around what does that mean and how does that then impact, you know, what they're looking for, the way that the sales reps or, or account execs, or whatever should engage with their buyers. Yeah. So, I mean, I think about 
Do you remember uh, shopping malls uh, when people went to the shopping <laughs> yeah. malls? They, they yeah. stores and things in them. Yep, uh, I do. It's been a long time, like, but I do. Yeah. One of the worst things was like you you need to go into a store. There's something that you want, and yet that you know the salesperson is standing right in the doorway, and you know the minute you walk in, they're going to ask you if they can help. And even though you know, like you want to go there because there is something you want, or you think there may be something you want. You hate the idea that there's somebody there who's going to ask you right away for something because you're you're afraid that they're going to sell something to you that you don't want or turn you in a direction you don't want to go. You don't trust them. Right. They have your interests in mind. And sometimes even when you're in the store and you desperately do need to be something, one, you can't find them anymore. They're, they're somewhere else. Um, <laughs> But two, they may not have your interest in mind, so you don't trust them. And I think that that's the thing that that buyers resist is, and that speaks to what we just talked about in the sales process, is that when a buyer believes that you have their interests in mind, or at the very least, that your interests are aligned, that as a sales rep, the thing that you offer and which you want ultimately to get paid for is going to produce a commensurate value for the, the buyer's business, then they're fine and they're they're not going to resist. But if what you're offering isn't clearly going to provide value, that's when the resistance comes up. And if they think that you're pushing something that they're not going to want or use and all kinds of things associated, right? If you're not listening well, if you are trying to BS them in some way that's detectable, then that's what causes it, that, that's what causes the resistance. The other thing, you know, and this goes just to sales techniques. I, I trained SDRs for uh, you know, 15 years of my career. And a huge part of what would made the job very difficult and made it terrible to be on the other side of was that SDRs were trained to have rebuttals. Like, uh, you know, there's going to be objection and here's your rebuttal. And I think that's just one of the worst things that has happened. I mean, in all of sales, but in B2B in particular. If somebody's got an objection, you have to address that in a straightforward way. It doesn't mean you're going to lie over and say, okay, never mind. We won't try to sell you anything. Right. But, it, but what it means is you got to understand what the, what's, the, what's the issue. Like what, are they, what is the real objection about? What is the question about? And then address it honestly and straightforward because you know, if, you, if you can't win the day with what you have now, you're not going to win. Right? right. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we think about – you know, all of the things, that the data that's out there for the buyers, there's also a bunch of data out there for us, for sellers. And yeah. there's this behavioral intent data that everybody's getting all excited about or has, has been excited <laughs> yeah. about. And, yeah. and it's interesting to me because much like with data in general, you see companies collecting it. They just don't know how to actually make it actionable in many cases. Yep. And so how should companies effectively be collecting that behavioral data and more importantly, using it effectively. What do you do with it? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, and, and this is what, you know, my current company, Six Sense, really does well. And that is, you know, so think about what the world of a, a buyer is like. So first of all, for the most part, what organizations have seen in terms of buyer behavior up until very recently is just people who fill out forms on their website. <laughs> and and that's that's it, right? Now, those people who fill out forms in their websites, in most B2B organizations, that person has to go through some amount of content consumption and they get scored. And the ones who score really nicely get sent off and, and you do something about them. 
here's a dirty little secret. There's like zero evidence that the amount of content that a person consumes on your website is correlated statistically with whether their company is going to buy something. Like there's no evidence for that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a whole there's a whole industry in B2B marketing based on lead scoring, and it's all kind of made up. <laughs> doesn't really doesn't really do much. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that uh, first of all, if you've got one person from an organization on your website, let's say you're trying to sell something to a Fortune 500 company, and one person from that company comes to your website this month. If they're the only person on your website, I don't care if they download your entire website and reverse engineer the coding on it. They're not buying anything from you. But if that person who's on your website shows up with another friend or two friends or three friends, I don't care if they just look at one page, they're much more likely to be a real buyer. So buying in B2B is a team committee activity. And the research from Forrester, from Gartner, from others will say very clearly that one, buyers are big teams of people that work together to, to solve problems for the companies, and they all do some of their own research. And it's that all do some of their own research that is the behavioral data that we need to go look for. You know, if you think about the difference between that one person from pick a cup, Wells Fargo who came to your website, that person, if they're the only one, they're not part of a buying team. But if that uh, same person shows up and then you can see that, you know what, in addition to that one MQL, I've got six or seven other leads that aren't MQLs yet. And then I've got a whole ton of anonymous traffic on my website that's coming from the same place. Now you've got something right now that that's, that's really good evidence that there's something happening. And even just saying that it's like so obvious, it's like blindingly obvious, but you know, until recently we haven't been able to see it, you know, so it hasn't always been there for us to see. But now we can see it. Now we can see one that there were, we could always see that there were other leads and we should have been paying attention to that. That's probably a whole nother podcast. But then, you know, seeing that there's anonymous traffic on the website, I think that the number is somewhere around 95% of all B2B web traffic is anonymous. So if you're a VP of demand, that all of the money that you spend to get traffic to your website, 95% of it or more is anonymous. So if you're not doing everything possible to understand what companies are in that anonymous traffic, to me, it's malpractice. You, you just have to do that. This is the, you spent the money already. It's already there. And you were kind of successful, right? You, you know, you're, you're trying to get them to your website. You'd love them to fill out forms, but you got them to your website. And since hardly anybody fills out forms, it shouldn't be shocking that most of the people who come to your website don't. So you got to do something about that. You got to know who's there. So that you can tell, is that one person who became an MQL, are they a lone ranger on a conference call with time in their hands? Or are they part of a buying team and they're the one who was, you know, who was forced to fill out a form and download all the content that they're going to share internally? So that's all the internal stuff. And that doesn't even speak of, you know, if, unless you're one of the biggest players in B2B, chances are your buyers spend almost all of their research time somewhere else. Like not on your site, but competitor sites and influencer sites and all of that. So, you know, most of their research activity is happening out there somewhere. And you can now see it. You know, you can, you can buy that data. You can add it to the data that you have. And you can see what does a buying process really look like from end to end? 
You know, what does it look like when it's starting up? How much activity is there? Where do they go? And you can see what it looks like in the middle at the end. And that's what we do. You know, we say, okay, well, you know, here's what it looks like when a company like this is buying a solution like that. And now we can look at the data that's coming out of any given company and say, okay, well, it looks like they're in market for this kind of solution. Or it looks like, no, that's just some random activity. They're probably not in market. Right? And that's, that's a, you know, the great thing about that is, you know, we want to go prospect to the ones that are in market, but leave the other ones alone. You know, that, right. that resistance we talked about is real. And most organizations are not in market for stuff most of the time. And we don't want to be the salesperson who's standing at the door chasing them away. You know, we let them come to your website, let them look around forever. If they're not in a buying process now, maybe they will be later on. But don't cause that resistance by trying to sell them when they're not ready. And all that behavioral data can help us understand that. Well, and that's so I want to dive a little bit deeper because you kind of said, yeah, that's what we do. So kind of put a bow on it for the audience in terms of what is it that Sixth Sense does and the value that it provides to, to the organizations it services. Yep. So Sixth Sense does uh, a few really important things. I'll just list the things out in order of the what I think kind of the order of events for a B2B organization. So if you're a B2B organization, the first most important thing you can ever do is make sure that you're targeting the right set of accounts, that there are, every account that you invest money in attracting and engaging should be one that you could sell something to. And again, that sounds blindingly obvious, but it's not that easy to do in many cases. And marketing and sales need to be 100% aligned on what that set of accounts is. So first, you know, we offer predictive analytics and big data to identify that set of accounts. Looking at your past history, looking at companies like you and saying, okay, which, which are that set of accounts so that you can have that agreement. Then the next thing is, how do we identify which of that set are actually in market today? And that's the realm of the behavioral data usually referred to as intent data. And so that's the other thing that we do. So once you know which set of accounts, the next thing is, all right, which of those folks appear to be in market? And for most organizations, that's only going to be a small fraction of your total addressable market. And so what you're able to do then is focus your marketing spend and your sales activities on that set of accounts that's already in market. And then you know the next part of what our platform does is allows you to orchestrate your marketing and sales activities to that set of accounts that is both a great fit and likely to be in market. Um, and that's the package you know that that we look at. We also just announced a, an acquisition of a company that adds forecasting and planning on the front and back end of what I just described, which we're really excited about as well. Excellent. And so when you when you think about all of this data, I mean, you have you have eyes on probably and an understanding of more data than most of the B two B companies that that are out there. Are you seeing changes or trends or, or projections based on what we've just all gone through as a result of the access to data that you have? Kind of what's on the horizon? What are some of the trends that you see coming down the pipe? Let's see. Well, you know, in terms of how buyers buy, I don't think we're going back. Uh, but I think as, right, so we're, you know, I think the the amount of buying activity that happens digitally is going to remain very high. And, you know, by the way, one of the things that's really commonly misunderstood. So for instance, when, when Serious Decision said a few years ago, 67% of the buyer's journey is digital, 
That's true, but that doesn't mean that 67% of it happens before somebody talks to a sales rep. If you're a sales rep listening to this, one of the things you should be very encouraged by is buyers say that they really like talking to you and they get value out of it. And that's true in the beginning of a sales process, in the middle and at the end. And so people, you know, different people want interaction in different ways. What I think the big trend is that those things have to be connected and they have to be connected in a way that helps the buyer move through, whether the buyer is on your website, trolling for information there, or they hit the chat and say, yeah, you know, and they ask a question in the chat, or they hit something and says, uh, you know, call me or email me. They want a buyer now expects that those things are going to be connected. You know, if you're a sales rep calling them and you don't have any idea what they've been looking at, that's going to be a miss, right? So I think that's one of the big trends and it's still things that it's still a thing that most organizations are not good at or terrible at. <laughs> and, and we all experience <laughs> that, right? Uh, yeah, so we've all bring, been there. Yeah, yeah. So bringing, I think that's one of the big next frontiers for organizations, I think, is enabling their live human beings to be on the same page with uh, the digital stuff that's happening so that as they engage with the buyers, they're able to engage in a much more intelligent, direct way. I um, love it. Yeah. I love it. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. As a senior principal, as a former executive, uh, you obviously are the target of many people, <laughs> the yeah. prospect. Yep. And I'm always curious to know, and especially since you trained SDRs for so long, I'm always curious to learn if somebody doesn't have a referral, a trusted referral into you, what works for you or in your opinion works the best to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? Going back to the conversation that we've been having, it's like having, you know, use, do your homework, very simply, do your homework, know in advance if I'm the right person to be talking to you about something. And then you should know, I think, a fair bit about, and I, you know, people do resist giving up their personal information, but we at the same time expect that you're going to have it and use it, right? right. And so I'm one of those, right? So, uh, you know, so I don't, if, and the other thing is that um, if you're calling me to sell me something, I don't need or want you to be my friend, and, and you per, you actually don't need or want to be my friend yet. We, that may happen, uh, you know, like if things happen, but you know, just be straightforward about what it is, why it is that you're contacting me or anybody else, and what it is that you have to offer. Let's get to the point of you know what you have to offer, and it should be related to what I do. I've always had titles that were pretty that seemed odd or outside of what I actually did for a living, so I would constantly get calls from reps who were saying, hey, I'd like to sell you something that has nothing to do with what my job is. Right. When I get one of those, I am not going to pass that person along to the right individual in my company because they haven't done their homework, right? And so that to me is like super, super important, especially now when you have so much information available, make sure that you're, you're talking to the right person and you can approach that conversation in a way that makes it more likely that you'll get cooperation if they aren't. So anyway, yeah. that's what I would do. Absolutely. All right. Last question. We call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing, one piece of advice you could give sales, marketing, or professional services people that you believe if they listened to would help them achieve or exceed their targets, what would it be and why? Yeah, this is a tough one because you want to you know, have something uh, technical. But what I would say is if you don't really believe in the thing that you're marketing or selling, get out 
uh, and go find something that you do. <laughs> uh, it comes across. It definitely comes across. It, it does. You know, and it doesn't mean that you have to be uh, selling world peace in order to believe in it. Like, you know, believing in it for me means, look, I have a thing that when I'm talking to the right people in the right organization is going to provide value for them, help their companies do well and grow and prosper and those kinds of that's I mean, that's all you need. So we're not asking that, you know, I don't, I don't think you have to uh, think that your whatever it is that you offer is going to create lasting world peace. That's not what I mean. It's just, you know, you really have to understand that you're talking, you've got a solution to a problem that's a real problem that, that this person and organization you're prospecting have. And if you can't do that, you should go elsewhere. <laughs> Yeah, I could not agree more. The the passion and the belief and the the curiosity mindset are, are huge in in connecting with people and, and getting the point across. Carrie, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It's been amazing having you on the show today. My pleasure. Yeah, great talking with you. Um, if somebody's interested in learning more about you or Six Senses or a specific place you'd like us to send them, SixSense.com. Uh, com. Come to our website. Lots of cool stuff. We've got lots of really talented folks with lots of great content and fun videos and those kinds of things. So if you want to know more about what uh, Six Sense does, that's great. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to hear from uh, anybody on LinkedIn, and I post stuff on LinkedIn pretty frequently. So that's a great place to find me. Excellent. Thank you again for your time. Look forward to talking to you again soon. That does it for this episode, everybody. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Share with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.